In a world where a man loves movies and loves lists and keeps a list of his 100 favorite movies for over 30 years, what if he made his wife watch those movies in order? And what if he made her talk about it on a podcast? Would she like them? Would she hate them? Can this marriage possibly survive this podcast? Find out what will happen in a world called Craig's List. It is a period of civil war. Rebel podcasters striking from a hidden base have won their first victory against the evil Craigslist empire and delayed release of the 88th episode for over a month. During the battle, rebel Twitter followers managed to steal secret plans to Craig's ultimate weapon, the Death List, a password-protected document containing the remaining 13 movies on Craigslist with enough enough mind-numbing cinematic power to destroy Carla's entire afternoon. Pursued by Empire... (laughs) Pursued oh <laughs> by Emperor Craig's sinister agents, Princess Carla races home <laughs> aboard her 2005 Honda Accord Hybrid, custodian of the stolen list that can save her sanity and restore freedom to the galaxy. Whew, that was a mouthful. <laughs> Went off without a hitch, too. One, <laughs> one take wonder, they call me. That first note out of the gate. I was like, what is this? <laughs> Well, it's hard to do an entire brass chord with just your mouth, (laughs) right? Sure. (laughs) Craig's listeners, it has been a long time. Sure has. In a galaxy far, far away since the last episode. We apologize for that. Hopefully, this will be worth the wait. I've got a good feeling about this one uh it is episode number 88 we're up to number 13 on craig's list and we're going to cover a 1977 sci-fi classic called star wars episode four colon a new hope that's so stupid that it's episode four (laughs) (laughs) so dumb carla are you excited for this episode i am actually i like star wars okay yeah (laughs) Cool. There are a lot, there are a lot of things about Star Wars that I like, and then some things that I'm like, this is silly. Okay. Well, I, I'd love to cover all of them. Mostly, but- it has to do with George Lucas oh. being silly. Okay. <laughs> how do you know? How can you ascribe it to him specifically? Uh, because yeah. the fans do. Anything that they hate about Star Wars is always Lucas's fault, right? Well, maybe, and maybe that's not fair. I don't know, but I'm going to learn today from our guest. I think. Oh, by the way, we do have a guest. <laughs> We're in lovely Marina Del Rey, the Marina of the King, uh, <laughs> to welcome a return guest. He's not been with us since the Toy Story 3 episode early on. Was that five years ago? Who knows <laughs> how long uh, this podcast has been going. But please welcome back our good friend, a great improviser, uh, actor, voice actor, uh, podcaster himself, extraordinaire, Hal Lublin. Al Lublin. <laughs> now that's a name that I've not heard for a long time. <laughs> Sorry, Ben Lublin. Thank you. Yeah, everybody calls me Ben. <laughs> it's cool. Yeah. 
You've been hiding out incognito under the name Ben Lublin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> only only a few miles away from the person I was sent to protect. Yeah, you've been doing all the things you've normally been. You've kept the same last name, yep. you know. Yep, still look the same, kept the beard. <laughs> I just understood what you guys were doing like oh. five seconds ago. <laughs> I was like, what is who? We may be going deep into the mythology of Star Wars today, and I, I think Hal probably knows a lot more than I, think I so do. Too. I don't know if I do. I'm excited to find <laughs> out. I always assume your your knowledge is deeper on any given topic. You know, I think I've got broad knowledge. I know a little bit about everything, right. but I don't really do a deep dive into any fandom. Star Wars included. And I'm somebody who grew up with Star Wars. I was born in 1969, so I saw the first movie, this movie, when it came out in the theaters. Mm-hmm. Did you? You're a little younger than me. I was born in 77, so Empire oh. He's a lot younger than you, you were an infant. I was an infant. <laughs> I, was, I was born about five months before or four months before Star Wars came out on May 25th, 1977. How, how does it feel to know that Craig thought you were a little bit younger than him? <laughs> Well, I mean, I, I, contemporaries. I knew it was, I, you're, uh, you thought I was born in 71. I look like, look. I, was born, I look like a 71. It's fair. It's fair. I'm not I, I, I think that has more to do with Craig thinking that he's 40 himself. <laughs> look, I know when I was born, I know that I'm turning 50 this year. Um, and Carla, you were born in 1980, the year that Empire Strikes Back came out. Yeah. Did you see that as an infinite, as an infinite, as an infinite <laughs> baby, as an infinite baby who can travel in time? Um, I don't think I saw any of the Star Wars movies in the theater until I was in high school, and they were re-released. I think mm. everything else I saw on VHS when I was a kid. Right. The special editions came out in the theater in ninety seven, ninety eight, and ninety nine. I'm guessing. Did they? It was all ninety seven. Oh, they all ninety seven, put... ninety eight. I think. Okay. Uh, I remember going to see A New Hope and thinking – I was in Syracuse. I was in college at the time. And I thought that everybody would get there very early and there would be an insane line. So for an 8 p.m. movie, I think I showed up at 4 <laughs> with a book and had the theater all to myself and changed seats five times to figure <laughs> out what was the best place for me to sit. And then the, the eventually the theater did fill up. Right. That's hilarious. But I was very excited to finally see it in the Aww. theater, not realizing – that it was what the special edition would mean, which was not – it's not a good – It's not universally beloved by no. the fan base. That's what I'm talking about when I said that I think it's – some of the stuff they did is silly. Yes. Um, And I blame George Lucas, but I don't know if that's fair. I, no, it's very – I think it's very fair in that case. Yeah. Because that was – the special editions were his opportunity to go back and, and in his mind complete the films. Mm-hmm. He thought that they didn't either look good or there were scenes that were missing. So a lot of the, the especially in New Hope is filled with slapstick stuff, like in Mos Eisley, just yes. like this robot's falling off a dewback and the stormtroopers, <laughs> his helmet's askew. Yeah. That's definitely George Lucas going, this is something people will love. Try out this one. Womp rats getting smashed. Yeah. That's, nobody wanted that. Yeah. I think, you know, famously like the Ewoks in Return of the Jedi were the first time where it felt like there was a huge concession to the youngest portion of the fan base. Yeah. And I think Lucas realized of like how many toys he was selling based on the Ewoks or whatever. And then ever since then, it feels like there's been more concessions for little, little kids in it with really silly creatures. It's it's odd to think now – that there are generations who grew up on the prequels, which are definitely have a lot more of what you're talking about 
in terms of things for kids mm-hmm. that love those films, that they hold yeah. them precious because they were the right age when they came out. That's their – the prequels for them are what the original trilogy would be for the three of us in terms of part of pop culture. Even if you didn't see them in, in the theater until you were in high school, they were a huge part of culture right. all through the 80s. Right. So it's hard to avoid – avoid them i really liked the ewoks (laughs) (laughs) but i was also you know a kid i probably saw like you were just saying i saw the three of them on vhs in the 80s so it wasn't like i don't know oh do are the ewoks do people hate the ewoks there are a portion of the fan base that hates the ewoks do you guys hate the ewoks i don't hate the ewoks no i love them they're i think they're cute i stuffed wicket when i was a kid that i thought was the coolest (laughs) thing i was very excited when i got it I felt like I had my own Ewok. Yeah. And they had television. They had a battle for Endor. And uh, there was another one. They had t- television movies where the Ewoks were the principal characters. Yeah. And I think they had a, an animated – they had a droids animated series. But maybe <laughs> the Ewoks were part of that as well? My youngest sister, Liz, w- would have been six when Return of the Jedi came out. And I think she fell head over heels for the Ewoks and mm-hmm. had a bunch of Ewok toys and stuff <laughs> like that. And she watched like the Battle for, Battle for Endor yeah. uh, on VHS. Uh, I definitely – I still have a copy of uh, – it's hard to find – Miko's Ewok Celebration. Miko is the uh, Italian disco composer who did cover <laughs> versions of all of John Williams' themes. He famously had a number one hit single with uh, Star Wars main themes and Cantina theme in 1977 set to a disco beat. So mm-hmm. his versions uh, did better on the pop chart than just the John Williams orchestral Whoa. theme. Uh, and then he also had a top 20 hit with, uh, at, when Empire came out of the Darth Vader and Yoda themes, uh, a, AKA Imperial March. Uh, but again, again, it's like these are dance tracks, like they're mm-hmm. set to a disco beat. And so after Jedi came out, he had a, a minor hit single with Ewok Celebration, uh, AKA, uh, what what is it? Yubnub. Yubnub. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then there's a whole rap break in the middle of it that I used to know by heart. Have you never heard Ewok Celebration by no. Miko? Tanu Jagobo, a dub a gobo, a wakilakukilaka han solo. A binzulubu, binzulubumu, yakinaka waka, to go a master luke, raznan yamika yakobo manaka, linda makimaki wazana chewbacca. It's the worst rap in history. You only need like three words. Or is it the best for that reason? It's pretty amazing. The version I, I think have. You do know it still, Craig. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know all of it, but the, I, I quoted uh, some choice some choice bars for it. Yeah. How uh, I'll have to play it for you. Later. Look at these yes. baby faces. Oh yeah, that's our our wedding album. I just so, well, we didn't have a proper wedding album, right? So the person who took our pictures lost half of them. Oh no! And then, but then my sister in law had this made for us. Aww. So they're pictures from our wedding. We got to take a picture of that and put it up when we put up the, yes. the podcast. Okay, Carla, let me get you back on track. Here. What, what, <laughs> but it's just so happening? crazy. We've known them for so long. I yeah. I knew you guys way back. You then. sure did. Yeah, yeah. that was twelve years ago wow almost (laughs) so cute okay star wars (laughs) nothing but star wars uh so i guess you know what can i even say about a movie that came out when i was seven years old that was a cultural phenomenon like this is very hard to assess 
in any objective way. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I've tried to assess, you know, all the movies on my list, you know, just because it's so much a part of my cultural being and heritage and definitely hit me like at the exact right age. I vividly remember being on the front stoop of my house, um, playing with my Noah's Ark. Um, because I was a very religious child. What? No, I had, <laughs> that was my favorite toy when I was a kid was this Noah's Ark with, you know, pairs of, uh, of every animal. Um, <laughs> all of every animal ever. Yeah. That was a very big playset. And I remember that they were running, uh, Star Wars ads a lot during TV and it came out in May of 1977. I think I saw it around July. So I saw it a couple months after it came out and I know that most of my friends had seen it already. I remember my mom poking her head out the door and saying, do you think you might want to see that Star Wars movie? Aww. And I said, I think it'll be too scary. Oh, <laughs> I think specifically Chewbacca from the commercials roaring kind of scared me a little bit. He's very aggressive. Yeah. <laughs> he's very aggressive. But once you get to know him, he's got a real temper. Yeah, he's a great guy. Uh, he's a great Wookiee. And uh, I so eventually I did uh, fight my fear and went to see it at the Marumsco Plaza. Uh, this is before uh, multiplexes. Mm-hmm. Worth, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. there's occasionally would be like a mall that would have more than one screen, but you know, our local theater was just a one screener, you know, a nice big like auditorium style theater. And I think Star Wars played in our hometown for, for a year mm-hmm. on that screen wow. with nothing else coming in. Like things would have a really long run. And I believe I saw it five or six times on the original run. Wow. I definitely also saw it when it was re-released in 79. Mm-hmm. Uh, in anticipation of the release of Empire, I think it was also released in 81. I saw it any time that I had an opportunity to see it in the theater, I did. We bought it on VHS at the first possible opportunity. I wish I had held on to those because those are like the original theatrical release, mm-hmm. the non uh, specialized version. Yeah. Uh, and then, so in anticipation of this episode, what I, what we watched was the 1977, actually the 2004 DVD release. Okay. Which is mostly what was released in theaters in 97 for the special edition, though they tweak some things further for the DVD release. Yes. Is that what you watched as well? It is. It's the one that has the commentary track. I think Co- Carrie Fisher does commentary on all three of the original films. Oh, really? Yeah, which Aww. is great because. I wish we had time to listen to that. I know I did when I first got the DVD. Yes. And I always listened to the commentary track on everything. Yeah. Is it just her? It's her, Lucas, Lucas, Ben Burt. Ben Burt. And then Irvin Kirshner steps in on Empire, which is good. He's like, George Lucas came to me to ask me to direct the sequel to Star Wars. And I said, (laughs) no. Who could follow Star Wars? And then I realized... I could make it about the characters. And it's that every time <laughs> That's Chewbacca great. walks in from the left of frame and he looks confused. <laughs> That's because he's confused. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> did I get paid yet, George? <laughs> okay, another hour. <laughs> so Irvin Kirshner is like a, a borscht belt uh, comic. Yeah. <laughs> from the 20s. He, yeah. he was uh, one of George Lucas's film professors. Oh, wow. And Lucas, I think, got removed from – he wasn't allowed to direct Empire or Return of the Jedi. I think he 
for went to and, and producers guild as well because he refused to put the credits at the top of the film which every movie did up to that point so he lost his dga status he refused to remove it so he pga and dga both dumped him wow so he went to irvin kershner to, to direct empire and then he tried to get steven spielberg for return of the jedi and i think spielberg was busy doing temple of doom so he got richard marquand instead but really he was making a lot of creative calls Yes. Even though he was supposed to be working He was the on de facto director. I think Empire, he was more hands-off and Jedi more hands-on. And I think you can tell when you watch them because Empire is clearly the best film. I think it's the best Star Wars film that's ever been made. And we decided that when we got this. That was one of our <laughs> Star Wars-themed episodes. But there's definitely a craft to that film that's missing hmm. from the original Star Wars and from Return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll talk about that more because I think that I've mentioned this on my podcast, on my podcast, uh-huh. <laughs> my podcast, it's mine, uh-huh. <laughs> on this podcast uh-huh. that I took Empire off the last time I updated the list. So it's not on the current Craig's list, but I thought in anticipation of this episode that I should rewatch that and reconsider that. Okay. And I have. Oh, have you made a decision? I have made a decision. Oh. The results will be available yeah. at the end of this episode. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so we will talk a little bit about Empire, which Hal clearly believes is the, is the superior film. It's my, on my list, and I only keep sort of a floating top 10, but you've inspired me to sort of sit down at some point and really figure out what my top 100 would be. Hmm. But it has been the number two movie for as long as I've kept a list. Wow. And number one is? Back to the Future. Back to the Future. Yeah. Back to the Future. I bet we have a lot of similar movies. I bet we do. Yeah. <laughs> I think we do. Well, you're only three years apart. <laughs> He's, uh, yeah, just a little bit older than I am. <laughs> I'm just a little bit younger than he is. Yeah. Now, I'm sure many of you Craig's listeners also are familiar with the We Got This podcast, which is Hal and Mark Gagliardi, where they settle pop culture debates. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you did Best Star Wars Movie, and it was Empire was your result? Yes, we've done that. We've done Best Star Wars Character, which was won by Darth Vader. Mm. That's best, a tough one. Yes. Best Droid was R2-D2, which mm-hmm. we have a little model R2-D2 from Galaxy's Edge sitting right over there. And we did Best John Williams Theme, and there was a lot of Star Wars discussion, but... No Star Wars winner in that one. Was the winner Superman? It was Indiana Jones. That, I mean, that's a, such a tough in one. In my brain, yeah. they all three of those are the same songs, but I know that they're not. So but they're si- similar. They're, they're sort of – Yeah. They have the same sort of epic – Specifically Star Wars and Superman. Like I started singing Star Wars yesterday in the shower, and then I realized I was singing Superman. <laughs> <laughs> Sing a little bit of it now. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, that's Superman. Yeah. yeah. So what's Star Wars again? Yeah. But I believe in your Star Wars bracket, because there was a bunch of different themes to consider, mm-hmm. the winner from the Star Wars bracket was the Force theme. Yes. And not the main title theme. Yeah. That dun, 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 dun. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's good that's, stuff. Yeah, that's common in all of... The non-side movies. It makes me cry a little bit too. Yeah, yeah. I, I love that theme. I think that was a worthy winner of the Star Wars themes uh, alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the Imperial March was not introduced until Empire Strikes Back. Dun, but that also sounds like a wedding march. <laughs> yeah, the the Vader theme is just a sting in the in New Hope. It just goes da 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 da, and that's. It. And oh. then it moves on to something else, which is like a weird sort of – there was a lot of 60s and 70s sci-fi 
that was apparent in that film because that would help inform sort of the visual look and THX 1138, which was his short that became his first movie that did not do well at all, has some of those similar, like, it, it just feels like a late 60s, early 70s sci-fi movie. So It's interesting. Like, like, it's not great, yeah. but it's interesting to watch as like a little time capsule of where Lucas was several years before Star Wars and where yes. sci-fi kind of was in the early 70s. Yeah. It was very weird, but... Star Wars is definitely a leap forward. It's a really interesting cultural and filmmaking bridge. Huh. Like, it's kind of notable. You can't discount it. All right. The dialogue is, is bad. <laughs> it's not well written. Harrison Ford famously said, you can type this shit, George, but you can't say it. Right? Yes. <laughs> in, exactly. in the first one? Mm-hmm. Okay. And Lawrence Kasdan came in to help I write Empire. I think the dialogue is noticeably better in Empire. Yeah. Mm. Now I kind of wish I'd watched Empire with you today, but I was busy getting earthquake supplies on Amazon. <laughs> what did you What did you get? See, so we have an earthquake tray right there with a go bag and yep. fla- like way too many flashlights. <laughs> no, you need them. Right, but an earthquake doesn't make the sky turn dark. <laughs> but what if it happens at two in the morning? Then I would need a yes, lot of flashlights for every room. I need uh, a headlamp. That's what I need. Yeah, we have one of those. You got a fire extinguisher. Right? I got a, Well, I actually got our earthquake bags a few months ago um because i listened to the big ones podcast mm-hmm. plug for another podcast <laughs> uh but then i got a fire extinguisher and some ties for our mirrors the, today the big one i think is the podcast you're referring to oh yeah the big ones is amanda and maria's podcast also a good podcast <laughs> yeah. it's also a good podcast yes but very little earthquake prep help <laughs> from amanda and maria on that. just yeah. one note about that podcast not enough earthquake prepping. <laughs> it's very relevant right now oh so funny <laughs> Um, I'm sorry that I didn't watch Empire. I should have. I would have been more prepared. I had a blast watching it this morning. But again, we're going to save that for later. Save it for later. Does it make the list? We'll save it for Ooh, later. Oh, I'm excited to find out. <laughs> uh, I'm jealous that you have been to the Galaxy's Edge theme park. Yes. Yeah. I, Tell us about that. So I showed up during the reservation period. I made a reservation. Jennifer and I went and I got the morning. I figured the morning was the best time to go. And they did it in four-hour blocks. So and this is to, at Universal or Disney? This is at Disney. Disney, okay. So we had to get to the park at 7 to go in early. You get a wristband. And they walk you in ahead of time. And when I walked in and I saw the world, I started weeping. Oh, like I couldn't help it because I felt like I was in Star Wars for the first time ever. That's awesome. Because you can go to other areas there. Star Tours is fun, but yeah. you know you're on a ride. But this, they really have done a good job of making it immersive and completely separate from anywhere else in the park. Cool. Which is kind of a hallmark of, of Disney. When you're in New Orleans Square, you're not looking at Tomorrowland. Yeah. They want you to stay in that area. But there's an area for the Resistance and an area for the First Order. And there's a full-size Millennium Falcon. Whoa. What was that like? It was incredible. It's, it was so you had fun. chills the entire time. <laughs> chills. And I went on the ride, which is Smuggler's Run, where you pilot the Millennium Falcon oh, cool. with five other people. There are two pilots, two gunners, and two engineers. So the first time on, Jennifer and I go on together. I'm the right pilot, which is the best thing to do if you go, because <laughs> you pull the lever to make the jump to light speed. Oh. And it, like things light up on your display. You're, everybody has to interact with the ride in order to make it longer and, and be successful. Jennifer got motion sickness immediately and was in her arm. And I was just yelling out left, right, left. (laughs) Then I went on two times single rider. The second time they they hand you cards with your assignment. So there's no real fighting over who does what. You can trade with somebody, but you've been assigned a role. 
the last time I went on, the cast member gave me a card and said, you can do whatever you want. You're going on by yourself. What? what? So I got to ride Smuggler's Run solo. I went right to the front right Han seat. Han Solo? Han Solo. <laughs> I did it by myself and That's I felt so like cool. it was amazing. It feels real. So in the early days of the park, like the it was kind of underpopulated because they were just keeping a... Yes, they were saying this is how many people can come and, and wow. interact and be in the park. And then after four hours, they sort of move you out because they can. Everybody has different color coded wristbands. I went back two weeks ago and I built that R two D two droid that I'm pointing at that nobody mm-hmm. can see. It looks so cool. It, it, it was so much fun. You go to a Droid Builder Depot and there was no line for that. I think most of the people who showed up either for during the reservation period were there for merch, so they wanted to make a lightsaber. Or make a droid, because those are easier to get into now, and the lo- the the longest line is for the ride. Yeah, but it's amazing. The cantina's ma- amazing. Just everything about it. It's it's I to me, I feel like it's everything I wanted it to be and more. Are they selling separate tickets for it? No. See, oh, you can go if you go to the park. Like during the week is usually a good time. Wednesdays a, is a low traffic day generally. Then you can just walk in. The only thing that they'll do sometimes is boarding groups. So they'll try and stagger when you can go in so there are fewer people cool. at any given time. But we walked right in wow. on a Sunday morning, uh, my friend and I, a couple weeks ago. No problem at all. Wow. And it's – yeah, you should go. It's fair to say that no movie on Craigslist has inspired as much merch as Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> like there's not any Jean de Florette action figures that you can get. Uh, you know, there's no, uh, touch of evil land at Universal, even yeah. though they produced that movie. But, uh, but I mean, this is just because no movie period has inspired the amount of merch and Harry Potter, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's comparable, but, it, but that's also existed as books before the movie mm-hmm. too. Uh, I mean, as a kid, I had the full run of Kenner action figures. Yep. Which I have no idea if any of them are still at my parents' house now. They'd, they'd be, I, I mean, I don't know what uh, what the pricing for shitty condition is. You know, if any of them exist, <laughs> then probably like definitely the lightsabers and blasters have been lost. Yeah. You know, the capes have been torn. Like I didn't, I played with them. Sure, I didn't preserve them. Yep, same. as as a cultural artifact. <laughs> Uh, I definitely had a land speeder. I had Darth Vader's TIE fighter. Mm-hmm. Uh, friends of mine had the Falcon, uh, had the Death Star. And so we would go over to each other's house to play with our Star Wars toys. Mm-hmm. I definitely had a Star Wars lunchbox. That year for Halloween, I was Luke Skywalker, mm-hmm. though a store-bought costume, which was a plastic bib with a picture of Luke Skywalker on it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Which doesn't seem like something that Luke Skywalker would wear. <laughs> in retrospect, <laughs> they had two more movies to fix it, and they never put him in clothing with his own face on it. <laughs> and uh, my friend Sean, who is actually going to be our next guest on the podcast, um, was uh, my age, born in '77, uh, and we bonded over our uh, <laughs> over our no, born in '69. Sorry, I thought you were doing a but, bit. Yeah. Uh, I'm the same age as you guys, right? Oh, yeah. Come on. Contemporaries, it's fine. <laughs> uh, we were born in 69. We met in 77 and bonded over our love for, uh, for Star Wars. But I remember him telling me, I think when we were in our early 20s, that the release of Star Wars the mo- was the most significant event in his life. 
Wow. Without hyperbole. Wow. You know, and it's not that much of a stretch for, I think, people of our era. Um, so when did you first encounter it as a kid? I, the first movie I ever saw in a theater, the first thing I ever can consciously remember seeing on a television was a commercial for Empire Strikes Back with Yoda Mm. in it. So we went to see that in the theater. So you would have been three. I was three years old. Yes. Then, then saw Star Wars afterwards, became obsessed. Mm-hmm. Had Kenner toys. I had the Millennium Falcon and a kid whose name was Matt broke the ramp. Whoa. And I still have the, the Falcon. It's, it's back in Philadelphia and wow. it still is a non-working ramp. And I, to this day, hold a grudge <laughs> against a child for breaking my toy <laughs> because I was supposed to share. An only yeah. child you have to share. You have to remember right. to share. Yeah. And he, like, my greatest fear was if I share a toy, it will get broken. Yeah. And that bastard. (laughs) Broke it. Broke my Falcon. Aww. And I've still not repaired it. I feel like I could go on eBay and get the parts. (laughs) I've sort of slowly been doing that, ordering parts for it to put it back together the way it was. That uh, that old tub of junk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> look, it may not look like much, but it's got to where it counts. People are always ragging on the Millennium Falcon. Like, I don't know. You know, I can't look at a spaceship and know what's a good looking spaceship or not. But we know from the movies yeah. that the Millennium Falcon is supposed to be a shitty looking ship. Yeah. It doesn't look like it was made out of a bunch of other ships. <laughs> well, they do. He does a lot of stuff where he, like, hits stuff to make it work, right? Yeah. Like the Fonz. Right. Yeah. <laughs> He has to fonds his own ship yeah. to get it to work. So you get the sense of like, oh, this is, you know, kind of cruddy. <laughs> I also had a remote controlled R2 that was uh, a favorite toy of mine. Oh, yeah. That was really cool. I, yes, I know the one you're talking about. I had a Yoda puppet because I also collected Muppets. The rubber you know? one? Yeah, I had a rubber Yoda puppet. You really mm-hmm. couldn't even make it move its mouth. No. You know? And at some point, I took scissors and cut the ears off my Yoda. What? I don't know why. Stupid. It was stupid. Because that would be worth $3.79 now had I preserved it. Carla, what was your first encounter with the Star Wars um, universe? I don't remember. I just kind of, I just remember it always being around. <laughs> like, I just know that it was on heavy rotation uh, in our house. I have a younger brother by three years. And so um, we watched a lot of the same stuff. And it was like Star Wars was... Was your dad into it? No, my dad wasn't really into movies mm-hmm. that much, but my brother and I, yeah, and we would play Star Wars all the time. I was always Princess Leia because I'm a girl, okay? <laughs> <laughs> but I loved Princess Leia. and You love Carrie Fisher. I love Carrie Fisher. And sure. she's also, she's really great and she kicks a lot of ass in that movie. Um, rewatching it, I was like kind of proud of, of George Lucas for, <laughs> I wasn't sure like what her... She's not a damsel in distress. She's not a damsel in distress. Like she really takes control. Like I did not remember her shooting the 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 way into the garbage yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. Into the garbage chute flyboy. I don't yeah, I did not remember that at all, and I thought that was really cool. And I think that that's something that's missing from the prequels. Is that what we call them? Yes. The Natalie Portman ones. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I like Natalie Portman a lot. A lot, lot, but there is no humor in any of those movies mm-hmm. like there's no she's she has an amazing costumes for sure but like that's kind of all i remember about the prequels i don't remember caring about her character at all and so i don't know 
Yeah, I mean, there is there are attempts at humor, but again, it's the very juvenile stuff, the Jar Jar Binks kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. That, but that's only the first movie, right? I don't remember there being any humor in the in the second and third. I think probably less and less as it went on. I think he. It was like very soap opera. Poor, poor Jar Jar. I say this because I'm at best the actor who plays him has been is a great guy. Yeah, right? he's yeah. been wrongly maligned. Yes. Uh, he does a great job. Like, it's a good performance. Mm-hmm. It's never any actor's fault if they're mm-hmm. bad in Star Wars. George Lucas doesn't know how to direct actors. Yes. Mm-hmm. So Jar Jar comes back. I think it's in Revenge of the Sith. He's the one who leads the vote to make Ch- uh, Senator Palpatine into the Chancellor and give him that's right. give him his yeah. ultimate powers. <laughs> so even <laughs> – and that's like his. Jar Jar, how could you? Yeah, exactly. He's one more – one more klutzy moment from Jar Jar yeah. this time in intergalactic politics. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there's like nothing. What? Yeah. Anyways, just I, rewatching this first one, I was delighted by how funny it was and how much I cared about the characters, except for those last 20 minutes of the movie. As that was happening, I was like checking out. So the dog fight, uh, at the Death Star is not yeah. the most, I have to, uh, I have to agree. Like it's probably, you know, it drags a bit though. I think at the time, like that was as state of the art right. as you could get with both special effects mm-hmm. and in terms of like an exciting battle. I think 40 years on, thanks to this movie, mm-hmm. the standard for an exciting action scene. And how fast you cut and mm-hmm. everything and, and how clearly you depict that action, uh, has changed considerably. So mm-hmm. it's hard not to watch it through current eyes now and feel like it comes up short. I mean, the, the, the one good moment for me of that sequence is when Han Solo comes in. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that's just based on character and emotion, you know? So I don't know. I think that's really interesting that some of those battle sequences don't hold up just because they're not really attached to anything beyond shooting. Well, the, that's the thing of like all the red nine standing by of like, we don't know these guys. Yeah. We know yeah. Luke. Right. And exactly. then suddenly there's like 20 pilots that yeah. are Porkins, you know? We- yes. <laughs> so, un- so unfortunate. Uh- <laughs> Isn't he the only one who screams while dying? <laughs> there's only one pilot who's like, ah! <laughs> As he explodes. And I think it might be Porkins. Stupid Porkins. Yeah. Pork with your goatee. <laughs> Did you grow that in college and just decide to keep it? <laughs> this makes me interesting. Also, I'm a pilot. But, it, but you make a good point. Well, you both make very good points. That's one okay. Is, you can say I make a good point. You make a good point. Well, no, I like both your points. I just wanted to revisit that action is meaningless without character. Yeah. And that's why, in my opinion, the Marvel films, the action is generally more exciting than the DC films where you don't really care about the people. Mm. The characters aren't built very well. So it's just like, oh, that looks cool. And also, the older a movie gets, the longer it gets. Mm-hmm. Even movies yeah. that were made five years ago feel, oh, they could have cut a little bit out of that because the pacing gets quicker and quicker. Yeah. And yet at the time, it's still, there's still something that holds up for me about it. Although I agree it's not the most exciting action sequence. And I think it's because I have memories of it. Right. I know, I have a, I remember every little piece of it, so it's just sort of watching it play out again. It's there's something. It's like an old blanket. Can I? I really want to talk about this for a second. This feeling you're just talking about, mm-hmm. because I've been thinking about this this week because we watched Star Wars and we also watched Stranger Things season three. Um, no spoilers, don't worry. Um, but I, it occurred to me like, oh, sometimes with these things, it's more about 
enjoying the nostalgia of it Mm -hmm. than it is about actually enjoying the thing. Do you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, uh, so for Star Wars, it it was like, I remember how I felt watching this as a kid and that compels me to watch more of it. Yeah. Not necessarily that if I had seen it today for the first time that I would think it was amazing or whatever. I think it would hold up probably. It would be interesting or whatever. I'm not saying it's a bad movie, but certainly like the nostalgia thing gets me through it. And I felt that way with Stranger Things too. Like, my favorite bits of that show always are like the little specifics from the time as opposed to, you know, whatever. Yeah. Well, that's why I say I can't be objective about star Wars. You know, I know every inch of it and it's so familiar to me and it's comforting. And, you know, there's, there's things that still give me chills in the same way that they did. And there's, there's so many things that are so iconic and, I mean, that's why it's interesting that it has a fan base that has turned on it or like has such high standards for what they want yeah. out of it, which I think speaks to when it first debuted of like what a wonderfully original and uh, crazy world that he created. So I think you got to give Lucas props, you know, for the inventiveness in the world. Uh, and I guess because he borrowed from a lot of different things, you know, as anybody in the same way that the Beatles are probably the most derivative band, you know, like they took all their influences and mashed them up and created something that was new and original called the Beatles. But you can trace back to where everything that, uh, then their music comes from in the same way that star Wars is clearly like an homage to old Westerns, to old, you know, B movie serials, to world war two movies, you know, samurai films, Kurosawa. I think it's actually a really well constructed script, uh, in terms of like the hero's journey, like it beat by beat follows that, you know, and it's classic Joseph Campbell. Yeah. yeah, It's, it's yeah. And so now I've, I think it's an appropriate time to ask these questions of you two, which, which is, uh, did he write this thinking it would be a stand, standalone movie or had he, cause, cause you were saying that he didn't know that Darth Vader was Luke's dad until they were shooting the second one. I think that's, that's pretty clear. I think he's changed his story over the years yeah. and probably he probably has no real memory of when he came up with what. I know that the original Star Wars script was much longer than the original movie and all, and contained elements, I think, of things that would be in other movies yes. later. Yes. I, yeah. I think you're right. Uh, and, and yeah. <sighs> He, nobody thought Star Wars was going to be a hit. It was mm-hmm. passed on by almost every every studio. Yeah, and Fox didn't even I don't think gave it they didn't give it that big of a budget. Part of the reason why he became as rich as he did is because he asked for he took less money and asked for a share of the merchandising, like the lion's oh, right. share. Oh, right, that's it. right. And that nobody was making movie toys. Maybe the Mego Planet of the Apes yeah. dolls were a hit, but that was that was revolutionary. So I think he made. He was just trying to get the movie made. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if he had some sense of where he wanted to go overall. But I I don't know that I would believe him if he had it all but plotted like, out. But Luke and Leia lot. didn't know that they – no, I'm sorry. <laughs> he didn't know they were siblings. He didn't know they were siblings in the first one, right? I don't think so, no. no I don't think so either. Because rewatching that, I was like, yeah, this is too weird, his crush on her and the way that – she treats him and stuff. I don't feel like that would be a choice that would have been made had they known that he, they were really siblings. Yeah. They were clearly set up to be a romantic pair. Yeah. Yeah. 
or at least a triangle right. where yes. they were going to be competing. And that carries over to the beginning of Empire, where at that point, you know he's got a lot more of a sense. They share much more of a kiss in that film than they do in A New Hope. Oh, I don't remember. They kiss in that? Yeah, she gives him a big kiss. But really, it's to it's to sort of jab at, at Han Solo, who yes. she's clearly in love with but doesn't want to admit it. Right, there's okay. A tension, there's a palpable tension between them. Got it. A Palpatine tension. There's a Palpatine tension. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but then Han and Leia do uh, confess their love by the end of yes. Empire. Well, I just will give George Lucas props because I just think it's a really well laid out <laughs> yeah. story. He, he's great at story. Mm-hmm. I think he could be better at dialogue. And I think he's more preoccupied and I have a grand vision. And I want to figure out he's a, he's a filmmaking pioneer. Mm-hmm. It, outside of anything else, I think that should be like the number one accolade for him. But he also is good at coming up with concepts that other people are are able to work into better scripts. Indiana Jones is another example mm-hmm. of of him having an idea for a story. And then I think Jeffrey Boehm wrote the original Raiders script, and then Lawrence Kasdan worked on it as well. Like he had people who were legitimate legitimately better at screenwriting than him come in and make his ideas better Mm -hmm. so he also was a good collaborator in that way yes and assembled an incredible team all around like we mentioned ben burt who you can hear on the commentaries who was the sound designer Mm -hmm. and think of how many iconic things that ben burt came up with for the movies yeah uh the sound of the lightsaber uh r2's beeping uh chewbacca's roar yeah. Um, all of the alien languages, the, the scream of a TIE fighter, the Doppler effect, you know, mm-hmm. as, as it, uh, goes across the screen. Like so many things that you associate with indelibly Star Wars are sound design yeah. elements. And then you have to credit John Williams too for, you know, mm-hmm. how much that score, uh, elevates it. Uh, if you want to listen to, uh, the settling the score podcast, our friends, uh, John Dinerstein's podcast, yes. uh, that we've recommended many times. The, they do the top 25 AFI scores. Number one was Star Wars and they do an entire episode on that, uh, that is just wonderful and uh, with real musical knowledge that we don't have. <laughs> <laughs> They'll get into the ins and outs of the brilliance of, uh, of Williams. There was an early screening of, of the original Star Wars that Lucas did, I think, for friends and family. And they watched it and everybody was like, this is terrible. Oh no. This movie's gonna be a failure. And it was because the score wasn't, wasn't in it yet. Yeah. And the score is such a vital component of that film. If you took the music out, if you took the music out of almost any film, it wouldn't be as good. Right. But it, it elevates everything, uh, in Star Wars to the nth degree. Wow. Did you read um, Carrie Fisher's last autobiography? No. And the Princess Diaries. The Princess Diaries, <laughs> and it's all, yeah, it's a lot about Star Wars and she was how they were having an affair. Oh yeah, she how and Harrison she, Ford. Yeah, like that was kind of the first time that she. Harefo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that she ever went on record about it. Uh, so it's fun to watch the movie and then think like, oh, they're totally boning. <laughs> if they'd been a public celebrity couple there would be Karrison. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I ship Karrison. <laughs> it was a different different time back then. What do you have? I have Karrison coming out of the Ivy. You have dinner. <laughs> <laughs> Stop to ask a bunch of questions and put a really bright light in their eyes. Oh. 
uh, this Aussie paparazzo is a great character for you. <laughs> yes, I'm really working on him. He's my favorite member of the TMZ crew. Is like a long-haired Australian guy. Now, Mark Hamill was pretty much an unknown actor. Mm-hmm. Harrison Ford, though he had done a lot of TV. Like actually, looking at his credits, like he had a, a several dozen credits before. Star Wars. Mark he just, Hamill. Mark doing. Hamill. He yes. had just not done many feature films. Harrison Ford, similarly, had done a lot more TV than he had done film. Uh, his two main film credits were American Graffiti and The Conversation, which mm-hmm. we covered uh, already. But he had, yeah. he was not a known factor. Carrie Fisher had been in uh, Hal Ashby's Shampoo uh, a couple years before oh, yeah. this with Warren Beatty. Uh, and it was Debbie Reynolds' daughter, but was really just getting started in her career. I think she was 19 when they were shooting the movie. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, uh, was Which quite is young. Insane. She yeah. does. I mean, she looks young, but she just seems so much more mature. She carries herself. Yeah. With so much power. Um, I think that there's also a chapter in that book where she talks about the audition and how like <laughs> they had it set up. So it was like they were auditioning for star Wars for Carrie Mm-hmm. And like one other iconic female role in a movie from that era, and like how she just went in and she like auditioned for all the directors in the same. Oh, you said Brian De Palma's Carrie. Yes. Yes. Mm. Um, and then there was like a third movie, and I can't remember what it was. Was it, the was it uh, Superman? Was it Lois Lane? It might have been, but they were like all on the same lot auditioning, and like they were just like going in. I think that this was in the book, or maybe I read this somewhere else. And I'm being very helpful right now. Um. Uh, but I just think it's so fascinating that like they all auditioned for those same three female characters yeah. and then the director would be like, I want this one and I want that one or whatever. Yeah. Um, that's all. It's crazy <laughs> to see some of the audition footage, which I'm sure is on the DVD. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Including yeah. Cindy Williams auditioning for Princess Leia. Who's Cindy Williams? She went on to play Shirley Feeney in Laverne and Shirley. Oh. And was in the conversation, so yeah. she had yep. worked with... Uh, An American Graffiti. That's right. Yeah, worked with Lucas and Coppola already. She's good in the conversation. Uh, Terry Nunn, the lead singer of Berlin, also auditioned for Princess Leia. Did hmm. she? <laughs> <laughs> and Amy Irving, later Spielberg's yep. wife, I believe, was also considered for it. But yeah, especially if now, you know, Harrison Ford may be the most... Uh, He's the most successful actor at the box office of all time, certainly. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the most iconic actors to think of him being pretty much an unknown when this movie came out and how much he pops mm-hmm. as Han Solo. Yeah. So I guess the, you know, the best known actors were Alec Guinness and Peter Cushing. Yes. And Harrison Ford was originally not even supposed to audition for it. He was brought in as a reader. Right. At that point, he had given up on acting and decided to just be a carpenter. He was mm-hmm. he, like, there's somebody. Some filmmaker for whom he made like a, a, a bed, like he was a really good carpenter yeah, as well, but he came in and read. So you can see him reading with a lot of the other actors. Weird. And then eventually it just became, we should use this guy. Yeah. And it, it changed his life. It's so crazy. I mean, that's the amazing thing when you think about like if the casting had been any different on anything, yeah. you know, what does it change? And the idea that C3PO was conceived as like, like they were going to have Stan Freeberg do the voice. Right. And it was going to be kind of like a Brooklyn, like used car salesman accent. So oh, no. how different is the movie if, uh, if, uh, C3PO sounds like this? Yeah. <laughs> and I guess it, Anthony Daniels was hired because he was, uh, like a mime mm-hmm. and, uh, he, you know, fit the suit and he was going to do the physicality and he spoke the lines on set. And Lucas just liked the idea of him having an English accent and having yeah. kind of a, a stuffy, like, butler feeling. But 
I, I think if C-3PO doesn't have that voice, it's not the movie. No. <laughs> you know, it's well, so weird. And there are times too, though, like he's probably the closest to Jar Jar <laughs> in, <laughs> in the original movies, right? Yeah. Like there are moments that I was like, oh, that almost didn't work. <laughs> uh-huh. <Sure>. You know, <laughs> I love C-3PO. Yeah. Again, nostalgia, but like, you know, coming into it with fresh eyes, you're like, oh, that's a little silly. <laughs> Yeah, they scrape by with a lot of it in terms yeah. of the in terms of the comedy. Like they make it through, right? But but it does feel like it was a close call. Yeah. <laughs> but the droids have to, you know, hold that first twenty minutes of the movie down. Yeah. You know, they're really our introduction to this world. We don't meet Luke until the twenty minute mark. I right. think. Right, and and then uh... we've teased Vader. We've teased Leia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Han Solo doesn't come in until about forty. Forty. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt you, but I looked at the clock. I was like, whoa. This yeah. is so crazy. And I think Leia is hardly – she's probably only in 30 minutes of the movie mm-hmm. yeah. entirely, right? Yeah. And she has a fake English accent at the beginning. You're right. And then finally it's when gone. she's under duress, just sort of ditches it, which is the right move. Yeah. But I, I didn't even remember it that much. I, I knew she was sort of putting on airs. Yeah. But it did feel like at some point somebody just went up to her and said, listen – you gotta stop the acting. <laughs> it's not working. Or she was so high that she just was like, I'll just be myself. <laughs> have you, Carla, have you seen the Star Wars holiday special? I'm gonna assume you have, Craig. Yeah, well, I saw it, Years when, it ago. when it came on, yeah. I feel like I saw it. Did they replay it on TV? Cause I feel no, like. No. No. It's never been replayed, then, but you can watch it on YouTube. And maybe yes. I've never seen it. I do have a memory of it though. It's, it's god awful. And Carrie Fisher, when she appears to sing, um, she sings part of the Star Wars theme is a life day. She's like, oh, the, the, uh, she's singing along to that. She's so high that one eye is looking to the left while the other eye looks to the right. Are they you are completely serious? separated and working <laughs> autonomously. <gasps> but B. Arthur has a number in it. B. Arthur has, a, yeah, she's the owner of the cantina. Art Carney. I must have seen clips. Yes. It's insane. Yeah. yeah. It's insane. <laughs> And Harvey Corman playing multiple characters, including a <laughs> a, a uh, cook show host with several arms, who's giving like these crazy like stir stir whip stir whip whip stir. What? It's, yeah. Well, we've we've been teasing a little bit the uh, going through the movie in sequence. So why don't we do that fully now with a segment that we like to call Carla's quotes. Mm. She's feeling her oats and Craig's taking notes. Whatever they are, it's Carla's quotes. Here's just some stats on the movie, by the way. Ten Oscar nominations. It won six, all in technical Whoa. categories. It lost the big ones. It lost picture and director to Annie Hall and Woody Allen. Lucas was nominated for writing. Right. <laughs> wow. Fairly or not. And then Alec Guinness was nominated for Best Supporting Actor and uh, did not win. He's wonderful. Yeah. He holds up for sure. I mean, immediately, like, the gravitas, you know, as a kid, certainly, I didn't know who he was. Yeah. You know, but I think for adults seeing it at the time and knowing he was an iconic actor of like that he probably, you know, carried that weight. But even if you don't know who he is, you're like, this, this guy is important. This guy's good. Well, he's just so grounded in a way that I think is really helpful to the film. He also thought the movie was terrible. He thought it was terrible. Yeah, there's like a letter he writes home. It's like, this movie is terrible, but it's a paycheck and I'm a British actor. That's what we do. We take any work. (laughs) You go where the work is. (laughs) The highest grossing film of all time until 
E.T.? Until E.T. So it didn't hold the title oh. for long. but And Jaws had been the winner before that. So mm-hmm. I think after six months in the theaters, Star Wars topped Jaws, yeah. which is crazy. Only Gone with the Wind has sold more tickets in cinema history. So adjusted for inflation, Star Wars is still number two. Mm-hmm. Uh, it premiered on May 25th in 32 theaters. Wow. <laughs> Can you imagine? Unbelievable. It starts in 32 theaters. Uh, they didn't know? Nobody yeah. knew? I think, uh, and this is something we've talked about, uh, in older special effects heavy movies. There's something about real locations that now obviously with CGI, you can, you can create anything. Right. And, but there's something about the locations they use here. They shot in the US, England, Mexico, Guatemala, and Tunisia. Mm-hmm. And they, they use both, uh, Tunisia and then I think like Death Valley and parts in Arizona for Tatooine. And you can't fake that. Like, it's just a great location. Yeah. If, if you don't have the, the practical sets and locations are the anchor for the effects. That's why the prequels look so weird. Like, everybody's mm-hmm. sort of floating in space. Because it's entirely digital sets. Which oh, Lucas really? just wanted. He's like, I'm going to make it all digital. I've wanted to do this forever. Soon I'll replace actors with cartoons. <laughs> and maybe myself? <laughs> we'll find out. I'm going to go put on another plaid shirt. <laughs> so... Was this part of your SNL audition? Yeah. I'm hoping I can. I'm trying to do really You did good. Irvin Kirshner. I did Irvin Kirshner. George Lucas. And Alec Guinness. What would it be like if Alec Guinness and Irvin Kirshner enjoyed? I'm sorry I'm late, George. I was busy teaching film school, which is what I did before you had me direct The Empire Strikes Back. Um, we're looking for more of a Justin Bieber. <laughs> what if Justin Bieber sounded like Irvin Kirshner? <laughs> baby, 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 no. So this DVD is one of those things where you, you pop it in and like the menu screens like kind of fake you out for a while. Like you're going through several menu oh screens. Carla thought the movie was actually starting. <laughs> and she said, I thought that was the opening to the movie. I'm like, this is weird. <laughs> then you said, what version are we watching? The 8.0 version? <laughs> I'm like, what is that? You're like the eighth time that they redid it. <laughs> Then you said, why is George Lucas got to be such a weirdo? Why? Why, George? Why? <laughs> yeah, why? What's the matter? Apparently, that iconic 20th Century Fox opening mm-hmm. is, I think that was what they used mostly in the 50s or earlier, and that Fox had not used it for a while, and Lucas specifically wanted to bring it back. So I think the, the combination of that, that title card of uh, Fox with that little theme and then going into... A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And then that first damn chord. Yeah. Just like, I, I still get chills whenever I hear it. And then you've got the slow exposition crawl, which I guess was a lift from like old Flash Gordon serials. Uh, and then the, the pan down, uh, through space and you see that the tiny rebel ship being pursued by the gigantic star destroyer. It's such a great opening. Yeah. The A New Hope was added later, by the way. So I think some people claim, mm-hmm. they're like, I remember in 1977 when it said Star Wars Episode Four: New Hope. of like, no, no, no. That was added yeah. later. I think, although my research today did not confirm this, but I think when it was re-released in 79 that they had added Episode Four. It was 81. 81. Empire was the first movie to have an episode number over it. They were like, Episode 5? What is this? Wait. Oh, so they decided that back then? 
they, he knew that it was going to be a middle of, I think originally he wanted to make 12 movies. There were rumors going around, but that was, oh. Empire was the introduction of, of the episode number. So when, when it was released in 81. Oh, interesting. I didn't think that he added numbers to them until the prequels came out. No. Uh, when Empire first came out in 1980. Yeah. Oh. And I think it was almost like a joke or a challenge to himself of like starting the, the story in the middle. Right. Um, because I guess as a kid, if you would go to see Flash Gordon, it might be like, this is episode nine or whatever. It's like, well, I haven't seen any of the others, but you just got to kind of adjust to the story, uh, <laughs> where it is. Um, but it th- then obviously created the thing of like, well, there's episodes one, two, three, and they have to be made. Now yeah, I have more respect point. for him. You just leveled it up. Everybody. Wow. That leveled it up. Why? Yeah. Cause for this whole time, I thought that he made the first three, four, five, and six after <laughs> like the two, whatever, whenever those came out, 99, 2000. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I thought he went back and was like, and those are four, five, and six, but he, that was always his master plan. Okay. All right. All right, George Lucas. I get it. There's something about the exposition crawl that makes it feel like this is history yes. that you're viewing. This is something that, that has happened and is important. After the uh, the crawl, Carla said, I forgot to read all that. <laughs> <laughs> I literally did. I got distracted by Benny. Uh, first line of the movie? Uh, is, it, is C-3PO the first it's line of the movie? It's C-3PO. What is it? Oh, dear. It oh must dear! Be something like that. Did you hear that? <laughs> I mean, the whole line is, "Did you hear that? They shut down the main reactor. We'll be destroyed for sure." But did you hear that? For some reason, is the, the Star Wars for an iconic movie has two very icon uniconic first and last lines. Yeah. Um, there's something about uh, something that they tried to do in the design of like old, like lived-in space. Like mm-hmm. everything looks dirty, <laughs> you yes. know, or it looks used, which is great. Uh, rather than the standard for sci-fi movies being everything is state of the art. And this, the look of Star Wars inspired Ridley Scott when he made Alien. Because oh. the Nostromo is yeah. like a piece of junk. Everything is, is grungy and dirty. And that was Star Wars sort of made him aware that that was possible. Cool. Here's Carla and the Rebel Army. Clearly they have inferior armor compared to the other guys. What are they called? <laughs> Stormtroopers. <laughs> when R2 and uh, 3PO do that cross, just narrowly missing all of the lasers, Carla said, they just mission impossible that. <laughs> <laughs> that is kind of absurd. When it, that's like happens in the first two minutes of the movie, and you're like, okay, now, now I don't think anybody will ever die. <laughs> and they're moving very slowly, too. Yes. <laughs> uh, what, are, what are the spice mines of Kessel? And are they are they seen in any of the other movies? I think yeah, they're seen in in, in Solo, Solo right? Yes, you actually see the Kessel Run being made. Yes, and you see and how they do. Do it. you see the spice mines as well? I think part of it takes place in the spice mines. Okay. I think they have to oh. go there. It's their escape where they make the Kessel Run hmm. for the famous Kessel Run that he brags about. I did like Solo quite a bit. I did too. I think a lot of people had a lot of problems with it, but I liked that. I liked that it was kind of goofy and. <laughs> I thought it was well cast, yeah. and I, I thought it was legitimately funny. And I, I just really love the relationship of of Han and Chewie. And I think just getting into the origin story of that was was really fun. I agree. It, it was a victim of coming out right after Last Jedi, which was a polarizing movie. I loved it. I know some I did too. Didn't like it, but I saw that right. Yeah, I liked, I liked it. Yeah. yeah. 
Mm-hmm. But right after that, instead of waiting a year, which they normally did, they were like, all right, it's been four months. Here's more Star Wars. Right. And nobody – they just – it wasn't time. Nobody was ready for it. Yeah. Uh, some pretty good voice work by James Earl Jones. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. And it feels like in this movie he's doing more of an English accent than he would do as Vader in other movies. Yeah, there is sort of or an there's affectation an, there's an, to it. It's an affectation. He's yeah. still figuring – everybody's figuring their character out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh. The droids are kind of – well, I, I wrote Laurel and Hardy, but I guess that's more of like 3PO is Stan Laurel specific. Mm-hmm. I don't know that R2 is, is Oliver Hardy, but – That was what he wanted. He wanted a Laurel and Hardy, so you're dead on. Uh, but they're also influenced by a couple of peasant characters in Kurosawa's The Hidden Fortress. Sure. Who are like the comic relief in, in that movie. Uh, when I th- – I think this was Vader and Princess Leia talking. Uh, Carla just said, exposition, exposition, exposition. <laughs> Like, we don't really care. We know who's good. We know who's bad. Yeah. You know, the exact, like, the political machinations uh, are always the least interesting parts of yeah. all of the movies, yes. I think. Uh, I just wrote... Although, this was the first time that I did understand that she... Uh, maybe I didn't understand it because I can't say it. But that she... I had always thought that she was kidnapped. But they actually enter her ship right yes and they and she's supposed to be part of like this peacekeeping group she's she's supposed to be on a diplomatic mission but they're actually smuggling information right the ship is called the tantive four okay the that was the original that was what the millennium falcon was supposed to look like originally it was a rejected design that they just used elsewhere Hmm. so you had the very front of the cockpit but on that blockade runner which is what that that type of ship and it's yeah, they they suck it into the Star Destroyer and board it. So that I guess it was the first time I understood the politics of what was going on, and that she was lying in the beginning. Mm. Yeah, I didn't know that when I was a kid. I didn't get that. I just mm. thought, oh, she's the pretty lady that they're going to hurt her because <laughs> that's what you see in all the movies. <laughs> but she's way more devious than yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Ralph McQuarrie, I think, is the artist who did a lot of the design mm. and then some of the map paintings for the for the movie, and yeah. like his his designs are incredible. Uh, another thing that's kind of harkens back to old movies is like the swipe edits, I think, are, are really cool. Yes. But that's something that's like back to old B-movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this movie does, uh, especially having just watched Empire today, of like this movie takes its time a little more. Empire just kind of jumps you in in the middle of the, the action yes. in a way that I think we're more familiar with now. But uh, we already kind of talked about how long it takes to introduce Luke, to introduce Han, to introduce Ben. You know, it's interesting. Um, this I think is when they're on the Jawa, uh, vehicle, the sand crawler, the sand crawler. Yeah. Uh, Carla said, is that a trash can? And the other one looked like short circuit. Oh yeah. The, the there is a robot that looks like short right? circuit has the two lenses. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that they try to, I think it almost gets, no, there's one on Luke's farm that kind of looks like a, like a Johnny five too. Johnny five. That's right. <laughs> He's alive. You know, he is Johnny five input. is alive. Who's Johnny? <laughs> um what are what are some of the plot holes created by the prequels first of all the idea that obi-wan kenobi doesn't ostensibly doesn't remember r2 yeah or that they haven't connected in some way even though r2 uh, was his droid yeah uh, or he says i don't seem to remember owning a droid yeah 
the the yeah there's a lot of or maybe r2d2 is just the greatest liar he <laughs> he must carry it, the largest burden in all of these films because he, he doesn't sleep at night everything he knows all of it he oh that's interesting sleep. i hadn't thought about that so forgetting about the prequels for a second mm-hmm. i just thought that r2 was saying that because leia said you are now obi-wan kenobi's droid no, that's not what No, she puts the message that says, go find, go deliver this message to Obi-Wan Kenobi. Right. You have to go find him. And then he activates the message that says, you are, because before that's help us, Obi-Wan Kenobi. But I thought Obi-Wan by Kenobi doing that, Kenobi. she was saying, you are now his droid. But, but well, you. The, the, the droid is telling Luke that he belongs <laughs> to Obi-Wan. He's trying to get to Obi-Wan. Exactly. He's like on a mission yeah, 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 yeah. R2 is lying. R2 is lying. <laughs> R2 is full. He's a bucket of lies. He's just going to get. It's there, no yeah. matter what. He's seen Got everybody it. die. Like he's sitting there with Luke Skywalker. He's like, "Bitch, I saw both your parents die. I know everything that happened." But yeah. He's like, <laughs> and then it just, you know, right. like so many terrible seek, and then gets shot in the head. I mean, we'll get to that in this in this film. Yeah, and still remembers it all. <laughs> no memories lost. Everyone's favorite Mark Hamill line reading of, is, of course. I wanted to go to the Tashi station to get some power converters. <laughs> <laughs> uh, around the time that the the re-release of the uh, the the special editions came out in the movie theater mm-hmm. at the IO Theater in Chicago, where I performed and, and taught at the time, uh, my friend Jason Chen put together this musical called Jedi the Musical mm-hmm. that was an adaptation of all three of the uh, the original films with original songs that were so great. Uh, I was not involved with it, but, uh, I would do Jabba in Return of the Jedi if I got out of my other show in time. I would do it. I would be doing a Herald show downstairs. And if we got out in time, I would run up and go to the booth upstairs for Jedi the musical and do Jabba's voice, which was so much fun. But they wrote like original songs like Feel the Flow, which was a, a Obi-Wan Kenobi song. That's Scoundrel was a, uh, and they didn't get shut down? <laughs> well, they did. They got a cease and desist letter from uh, from Lucas about six months into the run. And yeah. then they, they ceased and desisted. Uh, but then they reopened it with new songs and called it The Fandom Menace around the time that Phantom Menace came out. And uh, I think they... They consulted lawyers and they made it more obviously a parody. Okay. Which I think was more protected. Yeah. And I think what they had to do was change the, cause I think the original Jedi of the musical was the verbatim dialogue with original songs. Oh, I see. Gosh. And was just kind of camping up the performances a little bit. Right. Uh, but Mike Ross, uh, who we know from Second City was yeah. the original Luke Skywalker and he had oh, such a perfect. great, great line reading of, uh, pick up some power converters. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, if that droid didn't have a bad motivator, yeah, this story would have never happened. R five D four. R five D four. Yeah, they're buying a a droid from Red. the Jawas. If that droid had been a good droid, then R two would have never gotten to Luke. You know what happened? R two D two sabotaged. R two D two went to every R unit in that sand crawler, and. And dismantled some, you know, he's got a buzzsaw in there. He's got a, a lightning fork. He's got a flamethrower. <laughs> he fucked up every other droid. I mean, he must have, right? Yeah. Like, he's he knows what has to do. happen, right? He stopped caring about death a long time ago. It just became <laughs> death is life. I saw my master turn into like a burnt match. 
<laughs> and then I left with the guy who did it. <laughs> I have no allegiance anymore. I, my allegiance is to the living. And that's it. Now, there's a segment of the fandom that insists that Wedge Antilles is the secret hero of uh, of the uh, trilogy. Because he keep, keeps the uh, – he's the one who uh, – he does something. He, well, he does something in every he movie. Lives. Yeah, he lives. Yeah. Uh, but really, R2-D2 is really <laughs> – the the secret driver behind the entire plot. Yeah. yeah. Really. Um Yeah, he says Biggs is right, but we haven't met Biggs. Yeah, only in the special edition, and that scene makes no sense. It makes no sense because there was originally a, Biggs is the guy with the mustache who's one of the pilots at the end, who's supposedly one of his friends from Tatooine. Mm-hmm. And they shot a scene with that actor, but eventually they decided to withhold Luke from the audience until the, the Jawa scene. Yes. Uh, but it's so weird that there's little vestiges of dialogue like that, that, that imply that we've met a character named Biggs. Um, who is wholly unremarkable. He looks like a Freddie Mercury impersonator <laughs> when you <laughs> see him, the guy who plays him. He's just like, we show we're on Tatooine together. All right. I'm going to go get in this plane and die. <laughs> I was struck by, uh, 3PO's line, thank the maker of like, get your religion out of here, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> well, of course he would be the one who goes to robot church. <laughs> He's at Droid Church every Sunday, and, and he and he gets on R two about it, and R two just sits there drinking. Like you don't know what I've seen. You had your me- I wish I had my memory erased. Luke says, "Who is she? She's beautiful." Carla said, "She's your sister." <laughs> the the Force theme playing for the first time with the two sons of Tatooine is just like that's a great iconic shot. Yeah. The Moss Eisley Cantina, mm-hmm. of course, is great. With the actual devil in it? Isn't that one guy who just like, yeah, hey, yeah, I'm the yeah, devil. Yeah. <laughs> What's going on? Yeah. And they CGI two characters that were just that were werewolves yeah. from the original one. <laughs> Uh, I definitely had Hammerhead and Walrus Man and Snaggletooth. All of the <laughs> denizens yeah. of the uh, of the cantina were action figures that I had. Uh, where do you land on Greedo shooting first? That's ridiculous. <laughs> That's like this is like one of the greatest bits of character exposition in Star Wars is the fact that Han Solo is a guy who will kill you before you have a chance to kill him. That he's slippery and that he's not completely on the up and up. And they take that away for whatever reason. I don't know if he's like, oh, Han Solo wouldn't do that. Like, he would then. So he redid it so that he shot second? He changed it so that Greedo shoots and they digitally move Han Solo's head to the side. Like, he sidesteps it. Yeah, it was weird. But it's a way better than the actual. If you can find, for everybody out there and and for you, if you can find the despecialized versions, somebody went and and turned the films back into their original cuts, but but did a scan for Blu ray. So it's like a pristine Blu-ray version of the actual original theatrical cuts, which is way better. I watched just the demo on YouTube of kind of like a side-by-side comparison, and it does look really cool. Uh, But I didn't – I don't feel like I missed out on too much by seeing this special edition. But the the scene with Jabba is definitely like that was a huge mistake. Yeah, walking on his tail. It doesn't look right. Jabba's not to the same scale that he is in Jedi. Yeah. Carla said, Jabba wasn't in this originally. See, I know a lot of shit about Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> he repeats some of the same lines like, even I get boarded sometimes. Uh, I think they went and reshot the Greedo scene after realizing the Jabba scene wasn't going to work. Right. So it doubles up on the same exposition. <laughs> uh, who's the elephant trunk guy? 
I think he's he's either a spy. I think he's a spy. He's like a local spy. Yeah. I think that's sort of the deal. I seem to remember him touching his trunk more, but that's somebody and that's the that's the alien of the cantina that's like touching his tongue. It's like, what is that? What is that about? Is that a tongue? What is that? It's gross. Stop touching it. One one thing I thought was weird is that they don't show Leia's reaction after they blow up Alderaan. You just assume she's sad. <laughs> you, yeah. you assume she's probably pretty like, bummed about oh, it. I bet that was rough for her. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that seemed like a no-brainer of like you'd want to get that reaction shot. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Carla said, when does he meet Yoda? I said, the second one. You said, oh, good. I said, you don't like Yoda? And you said, I just found it to be, you know, monotonous. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's not – that sequence isn't something that you can watch again and again. Am I wrong? I enjoyed watching the Yoda scenes yeah. today really? and watching right. Empire. Yeah. Right. I mean, he's obviously a puppet. Yeah. <laughs> you know, again, of like, it's that handmade feeling. The, what are the, the lizard things that the stormtroopers are riding on Tatooine? Dewbacks. Dewbacks. Mm-hmm. They were done as CGI in the special edition, but I think they were animatrons in the original movie. Yeah, and I think they look cooler. They yeah, look that I way. Agree. They look real. And this yeah. one, they look like they were drawn in. Yeah. And all of a sudden they're way more animated. And they're it's like weird. Bucking people. Yeah. Listeners, Craig is consulting his notes, and he's become. Are you are you amused, confused? <laughs> I'm amused, confused. Um, this is a Carlos quote. You're beginning to like her, but then you have a baby who turns out really bad. What? I think that must be an autocorrect <laughs> that that misserves your quote. <laughs> but then you have a baby who turns out really bad. Is I don't. It, I know. Oh. It. Is it the omen that you were watching? And you- oh no, I know what it was. Han was. Yelling oh, at Leia. Oh, yes. And I was You're talking like, about Kylo Ren. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're just doing some commentary on their yeah, burgeoning love. I was like, love. ooh, you're beginning to like her, but then you have a baby who turns out to be really bad. <laughs> okay. I'm glad we were able to figure that out. Yeah. <laughs> Worth it. I'm sure. <laughs> I have to say that the trash compactor sequence might be my favorite like it's sustained sequence great. in the movie from yeah. Harrison Ford's like improvised dialogue over the intercom. To just the tension of the shoot closing and R2 and 3PO trying to shut it down. And yeah. then 3PO's reaction of like, oh my god, they're dying. <laughs> it's so funny, I think. And R2's like, that's right, they all die. <laughs> they're just bags of meat waiting to die. Now we move on to the next one. Oh, I'm so glad I know what R2-D2 is really oh, saying. I now. love your existential R2. <laughs> uh, but Carla said this scared me when I was a kid. It did. Yeah. Oh, something grabbing a yeah. leg and pulling you under because mm-hmm. that could happen. And the way that they in some places. they're reacting to like you know that it smells bad and that they're freaked out just walking around. Yeah. Like it's a very visceral <laughs> experience Even watching though, that scene. It feels like most of the trash is just metal and water. Yeah. <laughs> but like, but like m- water with like chunks of something in it. Yeah. Stink water. <laughs> yeah. Stink. After the, uh, will somebody get this big walking carpet line out of my way? Carla said, they were sleeping together during this. I, I know you meant Han and Leia. <laughs> <laughs> but I like knows, to think, man? I'd like to think that it was Chewie and Leia. <laughs> the rope swing is just like classic, like, uh, Errol Flynn, like old swashbuckling yeah. movie. Yeah. Uh, here's Carla on the lightsaber battle. I guess the sword fighting isn't as impressive as it used to be. Yeah, between Vader and uh, Ben, it's just not. Yeah. I'm sorry. Well, he's very old. 
Yeah. And David Prowse is a Welsh weightlifter who can barely <laughs> move his arms. Yeah. So does somebody, some visual effects person went and created a more elaborate fight between the two that is much more impressive and feels like what they would have made in the late 90s or early 2000s. Mm-hmm. At the time, it's cool because they have laser swords. Right. But it is not a good, not a great fight. No, the fight in Empire is way better because it's personal and dark, and it mm-hmm. and it's several segments long, and it feels feels more desperate. This just feels like they're in almost in a class. Well, yeah, he's like, I like Vader knows that he's there, and Obi Wan Kenobi knows that Vader's waiting for him. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like very anticlimactic. <laughs> uh, Carla was bothered that R two can't simply email the plans. <laughs> You said, if only the future had the internet, it'd be easier to get the plans to the rebels. I said, this isn't the future, it's the past. And I said, oh. You said, is that, you said, is that the difference between Star Trek and Star Wars? <laughs> <laughs> that one's in the past, one's that's, in the future. It's a huge aha moment for you. Yeah. Aha. And then once it went to the big uh, dogfight at the end, you said, more fighting. Uh, I think those are my favorite parts, the, the parts that already happened. And you kept saying, fast forward, fast forward. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And you said, all the guy's haircuts are so 70s that it's too distracting. <laughs> a lot of sideburns. Yes, lots of sideburns. <laughs> okay. Um, and then at the end, you said, I think something that many fans have said, the Wookiee didn't get one? That's some garbage. <laughs> Chewbacca uh, doesn't get a medal. Yeah. Yeah, that's bullshit. If it was made today, he would get a medal. Yes. Because um, <laughs> it's very inclusive now in Hollywood. Yeah, I did. <laughs> you did. Uh, Hal, you would like to give Star Wars A New Hope a letter grade? A plus. <laughs> it's an A plus movie. Carla, for you? I'll do an A. It's an A. Yeah. Not, not, no minus there? No. It's an A for me, too. It's great. We unfortunately don't have a lot of time, but I will say that rewatched Empire Strikes Back today. Yes. And I don't know what I was doing in taking it off the list. Of course. It belongs on the list. I think I was annoyed by the updates, including the additional Wampa footage. Sure. <laughs> Somehow, and I, I, I don't know. It just caught me on a bad day, maybe. Yeah. The last time that I redid the list, but it's the least tampered with film of all of them. I definitely, yes. Uh, compared to Jedi and and Star Wars, that they, they did much than less. This one? I still am going to have Star Wars a little higher, but I'm going to move it down a little bit on the list. I'm going to move oh. Star Wars down to number twenty five. Oh wow! Um, right after this is Spinal Tap and ahead of the Hustler. Okay. Oh, that's a good. That's good company. I'm going to put the Empire Strikes Back back in at number 43. Interesting. So I I love both movies. I think that I think Star Wars works a little better as a standalone movie. Yeah. Uh, but the Empire Empire Strikes Back is just a little more colorful in both senses of the word. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got a lot more dialogue. Uh, that's fun. Uh, and it's just got a lot of good characterization. Uh. I think so I, I, you know, there's no real logic here you know, <laughs> in terms of the, the placements. I just think star Wars, cause it introduces everything and introduces you into this world. Yeah. I'm just going to rate a little higher, but I, I love them both. Uh, I grew up with these movies and I can't separate them from my mind, you know, and I can't really assess them, uh, compared to other movies. I just, I love them both. They belong on the list. Great. Great. Yeah. Uh, well, let's see what happens after um, after the medal ceremony. Then, so this is Leia, Luke, and uh, and Han and Chewie. They're just coming off the stage after uh, after the uh, the medal ceremony. 
Well, gosh, Chewie, I'm off, awfully sorry. I I meant to have a medal for you, and it got lost. And Chewie deserves a medal just as much as anybody else. I know. I'm I'm so sorry, Chewie. I don't want to give up my medal. I just earned it, and I feel really good about it. Okay, stop whining, kid. You know, Luke, it might be really nice if you gave up your medal for Chewie. I'm sure it would be, but he's just a giant furry thing. He doesn't even wear clothes. He just has that bandolier. Mm. Okay, you can have it. Mm. No, he said keep your metal, kid. Oh. Wookiees don't cotton to that kind of thing. Can you please get your hand off of my cheek? I didn't realize it was on your cheek. My your... butt cheek. Oh, I knew it was on that. I wouldn't touch your face, your worshipfulness. And I wouldn't touch your face, your stinky stinklefulness. Well, fine. Don't touch my face, then. I'm not going to touch your face, but I might kiss it, but not right now. Does this mean I have a shot? Hmm... <laughs> Talk about faces. Sometimes when I look at you, Luke, I feel like I'm looking into a mirror. And kissing it? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I love to kiss myself. Remember we were swinging? We kissed. No big deal. Probably there's going to be more of that, right? (laughs) It does two count. Oh my gosh. Wait a minute. Do you speak (laughs) Wookiee? Well, I picked it up over the last, what, one day? I'm unclear as to how much time we've been together, but it feels like it hasn't been that long. I feel bad all those guys that I didn't know died. I'm going to give myself a medal. For what, your highness? Being Princess Leia, (laughs) the biggest, baddest bitch in the galaxy. (laughs) Calm down. You're 19 years old. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Hal, it was such a delight to have you back for this. Uh, it was too long after we did. What did you think of Toy Story 4, by the way, real quick? I loved it. I thought it was a great original story. They figured out a way to to keep it going, and I <laughs> cried the whole time. All right. Did you uh, like it? I liked it a lot. I, I don't know that I it, didn't see it. I didn't know that oh. it needed to be made necessarily. Sure. Uh, but talk about voice work. I think Tom Hanks as Woody is maybe like the the greatest consistent like so uh, animated vocal performance he's just so great in it fine he can be good at that too <laughs> uh how what's going on with you what do you want to promote know, we got this with mark and hal still out there doing its thing tights and fights wrestling podcast also on maximum fun and good morning night vale, the welcome the official welcome to night vale recap show yeah <laughs> carla we're gonna stay in my youth and we're going to stay in a George Lucas kind of vein. Cool. I, I mentioned my friend Sean Farley before, who we grew up together. He's going to come on to discuss a little movie that came out in 1981. We had a club called Foo Rotla. And can you guess what Foo Rotla stands for? Probably not. It stands for Freaked Out on Raiders of the Lost Ark. Nice. So we're going to talk about a little movie called Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Wow, you went full title. Good for you. <laughs> Craig's listeners, we'll see you then. The list is an absolute good. The list is life.